Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 45, recorded October 30th, 2019. The Cloud Pod wins second place for the Jedi contract. Happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween. Yeah, that's right. Happy wait, Halloween. wait. Who's that strange voice I hear in the background? Hello? 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 Who is this? Hello? <laughs> Welcome back, Peter. Welcome back. We missed you the last two weeks. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Duty calls. It's the, the tough life of a CTO. Yeah. I did a little traveling, and I was a, in a tough spot to try to get in to record. Yeah, no. No worries. It happens. We, uh, we may do without you. Uh, one of the fastest episodes we ever did between Jonathan and I. So, <laughs> no, I'm not surprised you made you did fine without me. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a smooth 35 minutes because uh, we didn't have your your additional inputs. So, but uh, you know, it's been a big big week in news, and Jonathan, the long national nightmare of talking about the Jedi contract on the podcast has finally come to an end. So. The Pentagon has awarded controversial $10 billion cloud computing deal to Microsoft, spurning Amazon. Uh, after months of speculation and reports uh, that AWS had all but won the deal, the Pentagon has announced the awarding the $10 billion contract to Microsoft Azure. Uh, this is just coming a week after Mark Esper recused himself from the process due to potential conflict of interest for his son, who works at IBM. Uh, and of course, the president's role in the procurement process uh, is going to be the, certainly the subject of litigation sometime here in the future. Uh, so maybe not quite so and uh, over yet, but uh, definitely big news in the place. There are a couple of interesting quotes here from uh, attorney Franklin Turner. It's crystal clear here that the president of the United States did not want this contract to be awarded to one of the competitors. As a result, it's fairly likely that we will see a number of challenges that procurement was not conducted on a level playing field. And then Amazon's statement on it was, uh, we're surprised about this conclusion. AWS is a clear leader in cloud computing, and a detailed assessment purely on the comparative offerings clearly led to a different conclusion. So. Oh, oh. Mm. Uh, well, you know, Oracle was right all along. It was unfair. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was unfair to Amazon all along. Who knew? I wonder if uh, Amazon can join the Oracle suit against them. Yeah, maybe. Speaking of the lawsuit part of it, there were several articles that have come out this week uh, just detailing different issues. You know, uh, small little problems like things being included in the Jim Mattis book. Uh, where he wrote that president told the de the defense secretary at the time, "Screw Bezos out of that ten billion dollar contract." Uh, so you know, not quite as uh, not quite as bad as the Ukraine situation that's currently going on, but uh, definitely a bit of a smoking gun on this particular contract, especially with uh, some of the shenanigans around Mark Esper uh, recusing himself just days before this happened. So that's pretty interesting, given IBM was disqualified a while back. Yeah, we talked about it last week that it was a little weird because, uh, you know, they were saying that Mark Esper's son had only been with IBM since like February of this year, which was after IBM was out of it. So it was a little bit of a, a strange recusal, but I, I assume that was partially tied to because they knew this announcement was going to come soon and this would get some scrutiny. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, there was a little bit of a side note in one of these articles that I thought was a little funny. Uh, and so this week, apparently the White House uh, canceled its subscription to the Washington Post. <laughs> <laughs> and recommended other agencies to do so as well. So uh, the article that I'm linking to here in our show notes for the uh, spurning of Amazon uh, is to the Washington Post. So I just wanted to help out my good friend Jeff uh, there on the description of revenue. <laughs> that is pretty funny. It was a very interesting week in politics for those. But moving on, uh, 
this uh, Jedi announcement did not save Microsoft uh, when it came to earnings season, as it is earnings season once again. Uh, we t talked about last week IBM's uh, abysmal results uh, with the new Ac Red Hat acquisition, uh, but it was not a good week for the cloud providers either. Uh, so Microsoft first uh, up out of the gate. Microsoft's cloud shines again as it easily tops earnings targets, but Azure business slows. Uh, so they uh, reported a profit of $1.38 per share on a revenue of $33.06 uh, billion, up 14% uh, from a year ago. Uh, Satya Nadella had to say, The world's leading companies are choosing our cloud to build their digital capability. We are accelerating our innovation across the entire tech stack to deliver new value for customers and investing in large and growing markets with expansive opportunities. Uh, they again, they don't break out their specific revenue tied to Azure versus other uh, services in that group, which is, includes the Windows Server, SQL Server, and GitHub. Uh, but they saw revenue jump 27% year over year to 10.8 billion. Uh, but this was down from expectations uh, overall. I'm not surprised that the Jedi announcement didn't affect their stock price. To be to be honest, I think I think most people in the industry fully believe that there's going to be lawsuits and Microsoft won't get that contract in the end anyway. So. I think that's part of it. I mean, I think it was even blindsiding Microsoft because they they basically had no comment to make. That you know, the day they awarded this ten billion dollar contract, it had that classic Friday afternoon, late in the day announcement slot, which is the this is where we announce things to not be noticed uh, yeah. spot. So I think Azure was a bit caught flat-footed too. But they they I did see something today, Sacha. Uh, was talking about how excited they are to have been have won the deal, but you know their their talking points are a little bit late. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, they did. They see the revenue grow for Azure uh, specifically, fifty nine percent year over year, down from sixty four percent growth in the previous quarter. Um, so yeah, so definitely a little bit of slowdown in Azure. That definitely hurt uh, their stock, unfortunately. Yeah, but a lot of big numbers. I mean, fifty nine percent year over year is still pretty significant growth. Uh, indeed, I mean, yeah, big numbers are hard to double or triple in size. So, yeah, Amazon also had a rough earnings uh, situation here. So, despite uh, AWS cloud growth, Amazon shares are sagging on a lower forecast uh, after this was announced. Uh, they were unhappy that the cloud is no longer lifting Amazon.com business into the sky. Uh, it reported AWS growth for the quarter was uh, still rose to thirty-five percent to nine billion in the third quarter, uh, but Amazon shares six percent in after-hours trading, uh, but rallied back most of the day on Friday. Fourth quarter forecast is apparently 80 to 86 and a half billion, translating to only 11 to 20 percent growth. Where the analysts expected it to be more like 87.37 billion, uh, which is what was the big uh, drop in the share price there. So, yeah, uh, operating income fell to 2.1 billion, uh, down 26 percent from a year ago, and revenue of 70 billion. And analysts expected that to be a 68 billion, but profits of uh, $4.62 a share. And since they're bad at their jobs, uh, they missed that mark. And so there you go. Uh, and then, of course, the investors are super concerned about Amazon's uh, one-day shipping, and shipping costs rose, of course, 46% in the quarter to $9.6 billion. Uh, there was a couple interesting quotes here from uh, Constellation Research. It was clear that the hypergrowth of the cloud vendors were showing for the last year was not sustainable forever, and now the cracks are beginning to show. It now comes back to the AWS unit to try to keep that growth level over 30% mark to remain the growth and profit engine of Amazon overall. And he goes on to say, a lot is writing on the announcements at reInvent, with the most writing on AWS Outposts. It's a market AWS so far has not tapped into at all. Well, they haven't tapped into it because they haven't started shipping them yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was my thought, too. <laughs> That's kind of slightly bizarre. I know. It seems like a pretty premature announcement to, to, to announce it last year at reInvent and then not actually do anything with it until the last few weeks. But It makes sense, though, because you look at people who are like looking at their potentially renewing how far out do you renew your data center contracts and make data center plans? So 
get the word out early that it's that this is the plan so people can take that into account when before signing a three or five year deal. I was leaving a pregnant pause for more conversation. But, uh, and then, of course, Google Cloud uh, rounded out the failures of the quarter. Uh, <laughs> Google Cloud failed to lift Alphabet enough to please the investors. Uh, after a better than expected earnings call last quarter, uh, Alphabet reversed course with a third quarter report that left investors very cold. Uh, they earned profit of $7.07 billion, or $10.12 a share, down 23% from a year ago on a 20% revenue rise to $40.5 billion, um, or 20% if the current rates stay the same. Uh, CEO had to say, the momentum has been great, uh, but he did add that Google's cloud's total addressable market is now much higher thanks to adding more services and certifications. Uh, cloud revenues, which uh, include Google Play apps, smartphones, and smart speakers, uh, grew 39% to $6.53 billion, beating analyst estimates. Uh, however, expansions that they're doing don't come cheap, and that capital spending was $6.73 billion. Uh, so basically everything they made in <laughs> growth, they spent. So right. congratulations, Google. That's the game. It is the game. I, I can't wait to see Oracle's numbers because uh, they're they're investing a lot of capital <laughs> to try to catch up on this market. <laughs> Moving on to uh, AWS news this week. 200 Amazon CloudFront points of presence now exist in the world. Uh, Amazon has announced their 200th, uh, with the 200th being uh, in Colombia. Uh, that was after they released uh, 198 in Argentina and 199 in Chile. Uh, these, of course, CloudFront is a distributed uh, CDN network as well as provide DDoS protection. Uh, across uh, certificates, attack mitigations, and many, many other things. In 2017, they had 100. So in basically in two years, they've doubled. Uh, and this expansion included 77 cities in 34 countries. Uh, they also are providing you a price reduction uh, for CloudFront if you're using it in South America. So if you're not using it in South America, yeah, you get no price cut for you. But in South America, it was a 56% uh, price drop for CloudFront. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty large savings uh, if you're in South America. Do we know how close, like how much what a premium you were paying for South America before. Oh, it's expensive. It was like 16 cents a gig or something. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah bandwidth in uh, South America is very, very expensive due to uh, government uh, interference in the market, free market trade down there for that. Yeah, so it's, it's just about half it, but it's still almost two and a half times the price of uh, you know, the cheapest regions. What is the cheapest region these days? Do we know? Is the U.S. regions. U.S. US West 2 and U.S. East 1 are the cheapest regions for, for data at least. I think somewhere in China would be cheaper, cheaper or something, because all that free power. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, Amazon ECR has added the ability to native container image scanning. Uh, this is a feature that is a bit of a us to, uh, to both Google and Azure, who already have released this. Uh, this blog post we linked to here walks you through the process of setting it up. Uh, and this was originally tied to issue 17 on the uh, ECS uh, public roadmap. So if you want to see the dialogue that occurred... Uh, in debating this solution, uh, you can see that, which is kind of interesting, a little bit how the sausage is made. Uh, they offer two types of scanning, uh, or will offer two types of scanning. Right now, it's only static, uh, and they are using the CoreOS Claire uh, solution to do static code scanning. Uh, coverage is limited right now to uh, scanning off of CVEs uh, for the Linux distributions, uh, the most popular only. And scanning other types of packages, including Java or Python or Node.js, are currently out of scope, uh, but I assume would be coming sooner than later. Uh, you can use a service at no cost to you, but they do hesitate to, or do let you know that uh, ECR service quotas are still in effect, and so do be careful about how often you are scanning your repos uh, for vulnerabilities. I guess I wouldn't be too worried about scanning packages or, or you know Java or Python things because you could be doing that before you package them into the container in the first place. I mean, there's a lot of things you could be doing with static and dynamic code analysis uh, before you get to the container that you should be doing. So I would, I'd hope you have other options, but. Uh, yeah, you know, the CVEs on the the 
Docker container itself is a pretty good uh, addition, and I'm, I'm glad to see it because it competes really well with both uh, Google and Azure. It's also a nice choke point where it's easy to catch everything on its way in before it gets to various environments deployed. Yep. There's also um, some other good solutions too, like Palo Alto has a container scanner too for Jenkins jobs, and you know, so I assume that we'll start seeing this get integrated into cloud uh, code build and some of those other services as well sometime here in the future. So. Uh, AWS Global Accelerator now supports EC2 instance endpoints, uh, which is a bit of a misnomer because it, it sort of always did, <laughs> uh, just behind an ALB uh, network load balancer or an elastic IP address in front of that EC2 instance. Uh, but now with a new feature, you can connect directly to the EC2 instance without the need of any of those middle services. Uh, this can improve availability and performance of apps with local or global users. And to make this work, you simply create an accelerate uh, uh, node and add the EC2 instance uh, using the EC2 instance ID. Uh, the Global Accelerate is also now automatically creating two fully quali uh, qualified domain names, an A record and two pointer records uh, for each newly created accelerator and for existing ones. And before, you had to create these all very manually uh, in Route 53. So overall, these are nice enhancements to Global Accelerator. Glad to see a few features here before reInvent uh, next month. I, I just don't understand why why they do this. I mean, yeah. how, how, do you, how are you supposed to get availability if you've got a single EC2 instance in a single region? I mean, I assume you can attach multiples. And I assume this is more tied to a Kubernetes work uh, use case where you're running um, some type of proxy container on the front door of the Kubernetes cluster. And so if you can add all of those clusters into the Anycast, and then you can basically have that through the routing and the proxying to the containers, um, this is a nice enhancement without having the overhead of either an IP uh, or ALB, NLB in front of it. Yeah. I'd go ALB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my preference as well with containers, but uh, you know, some people are really into using uh, something like uh, uh, what's what's the popular nginx. Uh, a lot of companies use nginx for that solution. Yeah, but instances come and go. Yeah. They do, they mm. do, and so do pods and and yeah. all those different things. Yeah. So. I wonder if you lose the benefits of um, like DDoS protection and you know WAF if you don't use you know, if you do have any cast directly to an EC2 instance. Or I would just assume you do because I don't believe the DDoS shield supports Global Accelerator. At least I looked. Yeah, but it would do if you had used an LB. So I don't know. Seems seems odd. We just don't understand it because it's not our use case. Yeah. If you're the one out there who this feature was built for, please email us and let us know. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the Cloud Pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Uh, the first announcement from Google this week is they are making the cloud AI platform faster and more flexible. Uh, these are several new updates to the AI platform. Uh, this includes a new AI platform prediction capability, which allows data scientists to serve models for online predictions in a serverless environment. Uh, Previously, you would have to select this at runtime, and you couldn't really change it. Now, with uh, some ML models, they're saying are so complex that only run with acceptable latency on machines with dedicated CPUs or GPUs, 
And so the AI platform prediction now lets you choose from a set of compute engine machine types to run your model. Uh, you can also add GPUs to this, like the Inference Optimized Low Latency NVIDIA T4s. And the AI platform prediction machine types are also easier to monitor and debug. Uh, the second feature they added is a new AI platform training capabilities, uh, which allows you to use your training scripts on a custom container type or new compute engine machine types of any combinations, including CPUs, RAM, and accelerators. Uh, so overall, a very nice announcement, uh, but a little bit of catch up with SageMaker and uh, Azure in this case. Yeah, when's, when's the AI gonna just place your, uh, your service on the most appropriate piece of hardware? Without. Yeah, when they called it the AI platform predictor, <laughs> yeah. I was sort of like, oh, it must choose the right choice. But no, no, it doesn't choose the right choice for you, unfortunately. Yeah, that'll be the AI platform predictor predictor. Or the premium <laughs> predictor if it's uh, Azure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thomas Curian had an interesting blog post this last week. Uh, this is in response to some of the Cloud Act uh, legislation as well as the recently announced US-UK agreement uh, to not change a position. Uh, and so Google has a cha you know, wants to address these, Google, these government requests uh, in a very specific way. And to do this, they're announcing three updates, a new set of principles they're going to operate by, some recent course, uh, court filings they've done to help protect enterprises and companies, in addition to the Google Transparency Report. So the, uh, the new principles um, is that they want to approach government advocacy with several principles, including approaching enterprises directly. They want to promote transparency. They want to protect customer rights. They want to support strong security, and they want to streamline government rules. Uh, as well as in 2019, they filed a legal challenge to protect customers' right to know when its data is accessed. And they are publishing in their uh, twice-annual government request for enterprise data, uh, now covering both GCP and G Suite requests by the government as well, not just uh, the public-facing Gmail and Google products. You know, I kind of wish that all the large providers would get together and agree on some kind of you know, manifesto for protecting customer rights. Maybe they'd have a bit more influence if, if they all went together. But yeah, it's, 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 it's really good. Very happy to see this. I don't know if I want them being the ones to decide. Who would you like to decide instead? Amazon or Microsoft? Well, maybe the people. I would say with the amount of advocacy that happens in the employee groups at Google, uh, you, you do get a pretty good representation of different concerns um, just through their advocacy. We talked about it here on the show in the past. So I'm not sure I'm completely in agreement that I don't want them to do it, but I definitely would like it to be more committee-based versus single actor. Moving on to the next story, Google has released a PCI on GKE white paper, uh, giving you instructions on how to cover all of your PCI compliance needs uh, using containers. Of course, developers love containers, their portability, their need to uh, speed up for development, and of course, the ease of inspection and debugging. Uh, but of course, you know, compliance issues don't go away. And so this guide will help you solve all of those problems. The guide leverages technologies from Google, including Istio, binary authorization, and the container registry vulnerability scanning uh, for your enjoyment and PCI compliance needs. Excellent. I hope the auditors uh, agree with their assessment. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I see this as a, a great guide. Sure, it's a great guide for people who want to run PCI-compliant workloads on GKE, but it's also probably a great guide to help guide the auditors to understand what they should be looking for because it's one thing I've seen just for years when you're trying to get a, um, a workload uh, uh, certified on a relatively new platform. The rules just are difficult for the auditors to uh, uh, transpose to the new technology and the default behaviors fail. So uh, this is super, super cool that they're getting out in front of that. 
Yeah, yeah. When the when the terminology changes, uh, the audiences don't know what to do with it anymore. I mean, even even now we still kind of struggle with um, security groups in AWS. I mean, are they a firewall or not a firewall? When we, when yeah. we talk, talk to audiences, so yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a episode of Silicon Valley. It's a firewall. It's not a firewall. <laughs> All right, moving on here to uh, another US two feature for Google. Uh, they have now uh, give you the ability to bring your own IP address to the Google uh, platform. Uh, AWS launched a similar feature in November last year, uh, but GCP is the first to offer the service from all regions. Um, and so this is a pretty nice uh, feature overall. There is a great quote here from the VP of Engineering at Bitly, uh, Russell Holbrook. By bringing our own IP addresses to Google Cloud, we moved our applications without requiring our customers to change their IP address whitelists, minimizing risk, downtime and toil during our migration this is a huge pain point especially for us in the finance industry right now we have customers that have been using our you know, ip space that was been that has been allocated to us for you know 20 years basically and they've got their own change processes which can take months to um you know to, to go through and be approved and then make file changes so the ability to move your own ip space like this to to the google cloud is is really great um i was especially interested though to see that the Google bring you an IP service lets you break up your those IP blocks. You, you have to move a slash twenty four, I think, but then then you can uh, uh, you can allocate small small blocks like sixteen IPs to individual regions, which Amazon uh, can't do. And I don't know quite how they uh. do that. I don't know how they do that because the smallest rootable block is a slash twenty four. So maybe they're doing some kind of some kind of clever magic where they uh, do like an anycast type thing where those those blocks are now routed locally to a local pop and then Google decide and sort of tunnel that traffic through their own network to the, the region it's going to go to. Yeah, it's really interesting. I hope Amazon can, can do the same thing because, um, you know, people just don't have lots of slash 24s around anymore to, to deploy these things in all their regions. So good on Google. I have a lot of uh, IPv6 addresses for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah, it's, it's sad that we're still not there someday. Someday it'll be here. I don't know when that will be. Yeah, I just I just wonder how many, you know, you look at all the companies that um, would love this service, but unfortunately they're using IP addresses like from their colo provider. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's where a lot of companies start out, but yeah, it causes uh, problems later. And a lot of those colos can't sell you the block because it's too small, so... It's a it's a tough situation, but uh, you know the more we run out IPv4 addresses, the more natting magic happens. It seems so. We'll see. Right. I just I look forward to a world where we don't have to whitelist IPs anymore, and when IPv6 comes around, eventually, that won't be practical anyway. So, there's uh, several new features in BigQuery. Uh, these new features bring flexibility and scale to your data warehouse. Uh, the first one is the new BigQuery scripting and store procedure uh, capability, which was now in beta. Uh, this allows you to execute multiple statements in one request, letting data engineers and analysts efficiently complete complex tasks with BigQuery. You can use this tool to build complex workflows with control logic, such as if and then and when statements. Uh, you can also now create and read from a table. You create these tables as part of your BI pipeline. Uh, tear data to BigQuery transition services are now available. Transfer modes and options exist for different migration capabilities. And the BI engine now supports uh, 50 gigs of memory versus the previous limit of 10 gigs of memory for BI. I really feel like this is trying to appeal to the current, you know, SQL Workbench type users who want to write store procedures, and then deploy them to the database servers. You know, much more, much more easy to do that than it is to 
uh, you know, make sequences of individual queries. But at the same time, I really dislike store procedures as a, as a concept because uh, the the owner of the database now has to sort of scale their compute and their memory uh, without necessarily knowing what what the store procedure is going to do. You know, I think it's uh, it's yeah, I think it's, it's, it's tough. It's really dangerous to put business logic in your data data tier. It, you know, extracting that away from the data allows you to have more flexibility to switch out from BigQuery to some other type of solution, etc. Um, I do like that this is a service that allows you to execute multiple statements in one request, which is the definition of a BigQuery. <laughs> yeah. That was a small BigQuery. <laughs> I think this is super just targeted at uh, features needed to help companies uh, execute a migrate then transform strategy and they've already got store procedures they've already got you know teradata is mentioned in the article as far as a, a transition service so you got to imagine that's a, a key here is help people get out of their current uh, solution first before they transform moving on to azure uh, so there's two quick uh, stories here, and then we're going to go talk about Microsoft Ignite next week. Ooh. So all good times here. So the uh, the first Azure story is the uh, preview of server-side encryption with customer-managed keys has now come to Azure Managed Disks. Uh, I think we mentioned last week or before that they had brought it to their object storage. Now they have brought it to the managed disks, uh, which means that they're going to have six more of these announcements for every type of managed disk they offer you, from premium to ultra uh, to all the different flavors. Uh, of course, the uh, benefit of this is that you can bring your own customer key. Uh, previously, you would use a platform managed key to do server-side encryption. Uh, and Azure stores all, storage handles all of the encryption and decryption in a fully transparent fashion using envelope encryption uh, based on AES 256-based data encryption values and is term protected by using those keys stored in the Azure Key Vault. Uh, this is now available to you on standard HD uh, uh, solid-state drives and premium solid-state drives in the West Central region. It's, I find it strange that it seems so fragmented that they um, allow customer keys for one service but not not, not another service immediately. I, I kind of feel like the the primitives on which they're building these these services from aren't aren't primitive enough, <laughs> and and they should have. You know, it, it seems like they haven't kind of reinvent the same thing for each one of these technologies that they sell. Whereas with AWS, um, you know, they built KMS and then anything can use KMS. You know, the keys are stored there. You just pull them out and do the encryption when you need it, whatever the the media beneath. So hopefully this is, we, we can just kind of uh, not mention the other 50 announcements they're going to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can skip those. Just uh, assume that if it didn't have encryption before, with your own keys, uh, just keep tracking back on the console. It might be there today. So The uh, other big announcement uh, was the new Stream Analytics. Uh, Azure Stream Analytics, of course, is a fully managed uh, platform as a service that supports thousands of mission-critical customer apps uh, powered by real-time insights. Uh, there are several new features for this. The first is a new online scaling capability. Apparently, previously, you had to stop your uh, streaming activity to resize your scaling units. <laughs> now you can do that dynamically to uh, not stop the process. They have a new uh, C-sharp custom deserializer, uh, which can now allow you to write custom code to uh, process data in protobufs, XML, or any other custom format uh, via that custom deserializer for C-sharp. Uh, and they also have some new accessibility with the C-sharp custom code, new managed identity auth of Power BI, uh, new streaming analytics on Azure Stack for on-premise, 
uh, debug query steps in Visual Studio, uh, and local testing with live data in Visual Studio Code, and a new preview feature called real-time scoring with custom machine learning models. So lots of uh, big machine learning enhancements from Azure this week. Yeah, it makes me think, what are they leading up to at Ignite if they're announcing all these cool things now? Ultra premium, premium managed disk. <laughs> all the features that uh, they didn't announce yet that they included in the Jedi contract bid. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Somebody's scrambling now. We, told them we already had this. <laughs> we never thought we were going to win. What are we going to do? All right. Well, moving on to the draft. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so uh, prior to the show, we had a dice rolling uh, event where Jonathan rolled first and Peter rolled a second highest number and I rolled a one. So I'm in last this year in the draft uh, for Microsoft Ignite. And so Jonathan, that puts you on the board for your first selection. Excellent. And I, I had thought about taking your advice and piece of advice recently and just uh, kind of echoing the product releases from Google and AWS from uh, you know six or nine months ago, but I decided to take a slightly different approach this time. And... By winging it, or oh no, just... no, no! Oh, okay. a deep, deep thought has gone into this. Uh, my my first pick is um, they must announce a digital assistant to compete with Alexa and Google Home. Oh, because Cortana, the, you know, the Cortana inner speaker, it, it kind of launched a couple of years ago and it bombed. Uh, Cortana on the Xbox is well, that's great if you got the Xbox turned on. Um, and nobody uses Internet Explorer anyway, so or Windows, if they can help it. <laughs> but I think they, re they really need to get back in the game with the IoT devices. That's a fantastic selection. All right, Peter, you're up first. Uh, I'm going for, to... for your first pick. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to follow my uh, Google prediction, since it works so well for me, and go with uh, Istio for AKS. Yes, they do not have a service niche yet, and so that is an excellent choice. Is, is that something they need to provide, or is that something you could just deploy yourself, though? You could deploy it yourself, but a managed uh, mesh network is always better than one you have to run yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, portal redesign for Azure, because uh, I hate the portal, and this is wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It'll be only the 12th redesign of the portal. Uh, if they announce a new one. So the odds are in my favor. Jonathan, your second pick. So I know this is it's rumored all over the internet, but I'm pretty sure there'll be announcements for, for more regions, especially in the US, to support um, you know what they obviously hoped they were going to win in Jedi, and it turns out they did. So, Would you like to pick a number of Asia regions, you think, or do you have just more Asia regions? I think we need to hold you to a number. Oh, a number. Mm. And they've already got a Bunch of regions right this? now, don't they, sir? I'll give you. <laughs> Why don't we do an over under, and uh, one of us one of us picks the number, and the other and the other two pick an over and an under. Hmm. Okay. Kind of like the the Price is Right kind of thing. Potentially. Yeah. Like, I, I... But, but do you want to do that as a pick, or do you want to do that as a bonus round? I don't care. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with three more regions in the U.S. Three. More Asia regions in U.S. Got it, sir. Peter, do you have a? Uh, you want to go above that or less than that? For I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go one more region <laughs> in Canada. Ah, region in Canada. All right. 
Right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that that action because that just seems a bit too uh, too rich for my blood. Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, major SageMaker Databricks-like solution to be announced by Azure at Ignite. Okay. So it'll be a tool that allows you to train and build machine learning models in a much easier way than the craft they have right now. All right. Well, my third one is going to be more or new and improved tooling for the DevOps community, whether it's additional features to GitHub or or um, any of or Azure DevOps or Azure DevOps. Yeah. Peter. Uh, hmm. I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull one here from the rumors, and go with uh, Visual Studio Online being announced. Yes, I uh, I think that might be interesting. Uh, the adjacent one to that that I was looking at was the a new zero code development solution to uh, beat Azure or Amazon to market because that's a rumor for reinvent. But uh, I am really trying not to win the Azure competition, so I'm gonna go with Oracle's gonna show up on stage somewhere. <laughs> awesome. It'll be a slide, or it'll be an oracle person on stage with uh, whoever presenter is uh, shackled with that. So that's a, that's a good bunch of uh, guesses there. Uh, any any other uh, predictions out of Ignite? I mean, storage is is, is a thing. I... Uh, that's that's such an easy one for yeah. for Azure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> More storage. More storage options to confuse the market. Uh, done. Sorted. Uh, actually, do they do they have a, already a like a, a deep archive offering? That they do, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, I think we talked about it a month ago, but you forgot because it's so many storage now. It's uh, yeah, it's one of those things. If you don't use it, it just it just goes in one ear and out the other. All right, well that's it for uh, predictions for Ignite. Uh, we did not get a press pass for Ignite, so we are not going to be there. All right, uh, Peter, take us to lightning round. All right. So actually, did we review these earlier? We didn't. Tonight? No, we skipped right over these things. Should, uh, should we do that real quick, and then you can edit with the magic of editing fix this? Yeah, let me uh, sure. make a note of this time something, because... Uh, I failed you all as our part of our review process, so I'm sorry. All right, lightning round. AWS Ops works for Chef Automate, now supports custom domains. The fact they're adding features to Chef Automate and Ops work uh, kind of makes me laugh, but, you know, what a basic feature. Thanks. Thanks for this one. Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility adds support for change streams. You know, otherwise known as the log. The log. <laughs> it's just a log. It's just a log of events. But, you know, I, I'm starting to question how MongoDB compatible this database is. They're, they're adding a lot of features, which seem a little bit, you know, a little niche, but there are still features that Mongo has. So, how do you claim full compatibility when you don't even have some basic features? Well, I don't think I said full. No, I don't think it did. You didn't, but it implied by the statement that's with MongoDB compatibility. I would expect I'd expect more with that statement. That's all. Amazon Document DB with partial MongoDB compatibility at support for change streams. <laughs> nice. The change streams are pretty neat though, because I mean it gives you an amazing way to audit your data you know, for healthcare yeah. or for finance or else. You, you know exactly when that data changed and who changed it, who owned, who owned the session. It's it's pretty cool. But Document DB is not. Is it, is it serverless right now? Is it not really? Is it just a regular RDS? It's definitely not in the RDS control panel. It has its own menu, but yeah, it's basically RDS. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is like lead, the lead up into uh, um, serverless document DB. Ooh. I'm going to reserve that right now for a reinvent prediction. 
If you can remember that in four weeks, you can. Yeah, yeah. you got to roll the dice first. Let you it, better be uh, careful. I'm not it. <laughs> AWS Batch introduces new allocation strategies. Yay. <laughs> Earlier, you sounded way more excited about that, that note than, than that was. I was expecting way better than what you just gave us. So I'm disappointed. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I can edit something much more, much more enthusiastic and later, if you like. So it's just a way of basically saving money. You can choose how do you want, how do you want to optimize your batch jobs now? Do you want to save money or do you want to save time? Time. Save time. Time. Time is always I'm picking good. time. Alexa, I'm running late. Alexa for business enables Alexa users to inform their next meeting they will be late. Hey, Alexa, I'm running super late because I ran to my office to tell you that I was running late to go run to the meeting. Alexa should know that you're running late. <laughs> it should, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Hook it up to one of their ML tools. Figure it out. Well, you've got Alexa on your phone if, if you've got the um, Amazon app installed. You do, you do, but that's a terrible app. It's so convenient, though. <laughs> Amazon Transcribe now supports Australian English speech-to-text in real time. Oh, good. I can finally uh, transcribe episode 42 that you guys dropped Australian things into it. The dingo ate the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, AWS License Manager now helps you easily identify Windows and SQL Server licenses included license included instances. So apparently Amazon got audited by Microsoft and learned how hard it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I forget it was just a way of saying, a way of highlighting that, you know, oh, it's not us. It's not us. It's uh, Microsoft collecting this money. There should be a sure. tool for this. Yeah. Increase AWS single sign-on security with multi-factor authentication using Authenticator apps. So this one sort of mind-boggled me a little bit because isn't MFA require either an Authenticator app or a text message? Like, did they only offer text messages before? I, I've always been able to use a multi-factor auth app. So I'm, I'm a little lost in this one, but uh, great. <laughs> yeah, did it get stuck in the PR pipeline or something, and it's actually three years old? Hmm, that's possible. Yes. I mean, it doesn't say announcing. It just says increase single sign-on security. But then they, they don't go in, in the article. They don't say what they increased it to, so it's, it's a bit vague. Maybe it's not an announcement. Maybe it's just a reminder. It says Authy and Google Authenticator. I use both those things. They work just fine. So just, I'm just going to go with it. All right, fine. Moving on. Amazon RDS for Oracle adds support to invoke EMCTL commands for Oracle Enterprise Manager Cloud Control. So does this mean that Amazon now has autonomous Oracle databases? That's what this looks like. Is that what that is? I think so. I think that's how they do it. That's the magic. I guess that's the button they press to shut down all their own Oracle servers. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Easy button. Yeah. Peter missed that, and we celebrated them shutting down their last Oracle database. I read it online, so um, although I missed the podcast, I did read the news. Well, who will they but bash that... on stage at reInvent this year, though, if, they've, if they're done with Oracle? I mean... Well, the, the, they still have Oracle, because they say in the articles that you know they sell some third-party tools that require it, but you know, so they can still bash it. It's just not as much fun now that you don't use it. <laughs> Amazon RDS for Postgres supports user authentication with Kerberos and Microsoft AD. For those poor, poor people doing .NET to Postgres development. <laughs> yeah. AWS Snowball Edge now supports volume sizes up to 10 terabytes. Oh, and I really wanted them to crank it up to 11. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. For the win. <laughs> Spinal Tap wins it again. Darn it. You're, you had me at the dingo ate my baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
AWS Elastic Beanstalk adds support for PHP 7.3 and .NET Core 3.0. Amazon's most popular service. Keeping up with the times. You'd be shocked at how many people are so oh, excited it's, about Beanstalk. It's it's ridiculous. And, you know, I figured it out finally because when you use Visual Studio and you download the Amazon connector for Visual Studio, the default deployment mechanism it builds into Visual Studio is Beanstalk. There you go. So so if the very first introduction you have as a .NET developer is to uh, AWS is through Beanstalk, then you're just going to be using a lot of Beanstalk. And I don't know, I would imagine that if I use IntelliJ or some of these other IDEs, that they also uh, have very simple elastic Beanstalk deployment models, right. uh, which is why it's so easy for developers to adopt it quickly. Well, who, who put that in there? Who made it the default? Uh, is it Microsoft trying to like submarine Amazon by saying, hey, deploy, deploy, deploy <laughs> your stuff to no, us? No, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon put it in the SDK that they shipped for the product. It was Amazon's choice, but, uh, you know. Uh, I just blame you, Microsoft. <laughs> That's awesome. It was a Trojan horse. You know, tw- 10 years ago, when they first built the service, they were like, we need a guy who's going to get this over every Microsoft product. Should have that guy do it. Uh, former, former Bill Gates' former receptionist or secretary or something. AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now enforces name constraints in imported CA certificates. If only they thought of this three weeks ago when they announced new CA <laughs> templates. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> there it is. Awesome. I don't even have to say it. Justin, you know who got that one. The dingo eat your baby and wins the show. I get it. Uh, well, coming into the final stretch, we only have a couple months left of the year. Well, uh, I hope you guys all have a great Halloween, and we will be back next week to see how we did on the Ignite draft, uh, which I'm trying not to win because I'd hate to be the winner of the Asia draft. So. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that is the Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign up instructions. Mm-hmm.